Hello and welcome to the How To Academy podcast, the weekly show hosting some of the world's most exciting thinkers in conversation and debate. Last year on the podcast, we brought together Guardian columnist Hadley Freeman and journalist Lisa Tadeo, whose book Three Women was a worldwide sensation. A few weeks back, we reunited Lisa and Hadley in a live stream event delving into Animal, Lisa's brilliant and brazen novel exploring madness, trauma, and much more. I hope you enjoy their conversation. It was almost exactly two years ago that I got to speak to Lisa at the How To Academy for her first book, Three Women. And I remember during that conversation, I went and looked back at it, Lisa, and you said that you were writing a novel while working on Three Women. And I wondered if that was actually Animal. Yes. So did it change much from what you had written during the process of writing Three Women to what has then been published? Uh, Not a huge amount, no. Mm -hmm. There were some scenes that uh, that my editor in the U.S. would like to remind me that I put in there with that. He's uh, anyway. I don't. I don't need to take myself down. <laughs> um, yes, a lot. Uh, not a lot changed, but some. Some truly, as I'm sure you you know, some truly embarrassing things did come out. Um, so that was good. So uh, there's obviously some connection between the two books. You know, I'm sure that this is the pun all reviewers make, but Joan could be the fourth woman after the three women in the first book, because both books are about women and desire. And, you know, for you, you've, you've been thinking about this subject for so long and looking at it so intensely. What is it that you think people still don't understand about women, sex and desire? Uh, it's not so much that people don't understand as that they don't want to understand. Mm-hmm. I think that whenever a woman sort of has more, wants more than what she's been allotted, it's mm-hmm. like annoying to people when when someone over wants. Mm-hmm. And I think that we've just been, I, I think we get to this place and I think we do it with, with childcare and with so many other things. It's like, we sort of have metered this amount for, for what people deserve, what we assume they deserve. Mm-hmm. And, and then if they want more than that, even if for hundreds of years, they've been okay, or thousands of years, they've been okay with X amount. It's like, if someone's like, wait, you know, I actually want this. Other people are like, well, no, 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 you're not supposed to want that. I can want that because I, I think that we do that a lot in, in all walks of life. But I think that the gendered aspect of us doing, and I think it's mostly other women that do it. Mm-hmm. You know, just hearing you talk about that kind of makes me think, I mean, I don't want to go back to a painful moment in American history, but of the 2016 <laughs> presidential election. We go back all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but of the 2016 election, which I think yeah. is something that America is going to take a long time to get over, this okay. idea that, you know, a woman was running for president and that was ridiculous in a sense. And there were, and, you know, here on the BBC, we kept seeing these interviews with women in America saying, mm-hmm how much they hated Hillary Clinton yeah. really for just doing this. There are reasons to be angry with Hillary Clinton, you know, yeah. you know, with stuff about Monica Lewinsky or the Clinton finances. Like I get it. I'm not saying she's a saint, but there was this idea that how dare she want this? The sense of her entitlement was the word that kept coming up. She acts like she's so entitled, unlike Trump, of course, the paragon of humility. And I actually thought about that a lot reading this book, this kind of demonization of a woman. Mm. It comes through in your book too, I think. 
Yeah. I mean, I, that's something I think about all the time and it, it makes me really angry because I think that what the cruelest thing is, is when we do that, we demonize a woman for wanting more or wanting something that she shouldn't want or that has never wanted before. So why mm-hmm. is she wanting it now? Mm-hmm. We demonize her for doing that. And then we kind of pretend it's for other things and we hide behind things. And I think that's one of the most that's one of the most vituperative things that, that we do is not just the, it, it's the, oh, oh no, but it's okay. Like we, 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 we lie about it. We do something out of our own kind of shame or jealousy. And then mm-hmm. we lie about why we do it. And we find other reasons like emails, for example. Yeah. <laughs> emails, emails. <laughs> and is it that gap between what people say they understand about what women want and what they actually don't understand or don't admit to themselves. Is that what you like to mine in your writing? Yeah, that I I do. I like to mine that. I like to really, I like to be as sort of, I like to get up to the line of discomfort because that I do feel like so many people lie about that about, um, you know, pretending to be for women, you know, just like for what you were saying, the, the women who were against Hillary, that entire, that whole all of the thing, if if you were against Hillary for whatever reasons, it it had almost everything to do with their own sort of, with the way that they grew up and the way that they looked at at the world. And, but they, none of them were honest about that. So I guess with, with animal, I wanted, it wasn't obviously Hillary related, but I wanted it to be, I, I, I wanted it to be about any woman who wants more than what she's gotten I wanted other people to look at it and sort of see the times in which they wouldn't like Joan and then question themselves as to why they weren't liking her at Mm. those times. Yeah, because so many of the reviews that I've read have talked about, you know, your bravery in making an unlikable protagonist. And I, you know, for those who haven't read it, so Animal is about a young woman called Joan, who after a series of shocking tragedies in her life and a particularly violent one, leaves New York and goes west to California for reasons that are slightly mysterious at first and sort of are slowly revealed over the course of the novel. Um, And yeah, the reviews that I've read have all talked about her being unlikable, which I I was surprised about. I mean, you know, you can read books about, you know, narrated by Hannibal Lecter. I mean, you know, she's not like, (laughs) she's she's really not unlikable. Lecter is a man and it's okay, you know, and that's really, that's what it almost always is. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's, she's tough. And she's funny. Um, I've read another one that described her as highly sexed, which I also thought was sort of interesting. Again, like, is that a I, I, is that a bad thing? You know, well, like she that highly. Se- I mean, she's having sex. She's like a single yeah. young woman. Like, she's not banging everybody in sight. Like, she's like having sex. <laughs> but even so, the the idea that we. Um, that her sexuality is something that is even that is not just a fact of who she is that we take in, but it, that it's something that we can use to say, oh, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and like you said, the sort of bra- acknowledging that there's a bravery in having an unlikable heroine. And then also, it's funny, there have been a couple of, of things that I've read that have been like, oh, it's so dark. It's so dark. That's too dark. But it's really good that this is honest. And it's like, is it too dark? Like, 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 do you know what I mean? Like, there's like a, um, it's, it, they don't match up. And that's something that has been just confusing to me. Like, I, I, I just, 
it's just confusing and interesting. And I, I'd like to mine it even further now. Yeah. Know? I mean, my first reaction while I was reading it at first, I was like, Oh God, you know, there's a lot of violence and blood. Like I'm not someone who reads a lot of violent books, but then I think about my own life and I think, well, there's been a lot of blood in my life. You know, there's been, you know, miscarriages, childbirth, you know, blah, blah, blah. There has been harassment. There've been near misses. So in the sense, this book is just reflecting female experience, it seems to me. Like, no, not everyone will have had the experiences Joan has, but it's reflecting that kind of violence. Is, is that what you intended with the book? 100%. I, I, again, I think that, you know, violence against women in all forms is so rampant and that often we do forget about it and that it's not until you start, you know, and I've spoken to so many women about their histories of violence. And when you start asking people those questions, they tell them to you, they tell you their stories. And there are so many stories out there. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, it's like, you know, most people don't go around leading with those stories. And the reason they don't is because it's dangerous. You can become unlikable. Just being next to some sort of, you know, just, just having kind of like, just having been touched by any kind of tragedy, especially one that has some kind of sexual threat to it, sort mm. of marks you. Mm. And then other people will look at you and be like, oh, well, you know, I mean, I, I found myself sort of feeling that the other day someone told me something and the first thing I thought was, oh, they're, they're that kind of, a, and then I, the second I felt that in myself, I'm like, oh my God, I just did it. I wrote this whole book where, and yet I'm like, someone said something like darker than I thought that person was capable of. And I was like, Ooh, yikes. I gotta, I gotta be. And I was like, wait, why is that? Like they were just, you know, there's a couple of things that go on. and, And one of them is that the second someone else has done something dark or weird, if someone has an addiction or someone has a, whatever, we immediately are like, Oh, okay. Well, at least I don't do that. Mm-mm-mm. And that's what we do as a, and we do it so, so cruelly to each other. Mm-mm. And also we see how that trauma affects her, not just in her actions, but her in her thoughts. You know, I, I'm not going to go on with the reviews, but one that did stand out to me was this, I, you know, in the book, she often has where a man is looking at her in this very salacious way. And, and you describe it as like another little rape. And I think mm-hmm. if you've been through sexual trauma, then of course you are aware of the predatoriness of men. And this one reviewer is like, well, you can't say everything is rape, otherwise rape loses its meaning. But I just thought if if you've been in that position, like you are going to know like the steps that happen and the thought processes that get from A to Z. And just because you then call A Z doesn't make it wrong in a sense, if that makes exactly. sense. Exactly. And on top of that too, you know, what I think is also my other thing, my other, um, thing that I wanted to explore with animal and that I like to explore in general is that the way that we experience the way that each individual experiences a different thing Mm. is is different. Right. So like me losing my dog might not, might mean, or or someone losing their dog might mean more than someone else losing their parent, just, Mm -hmm. you know, even though it doesn't. And so when it comes to like, you know, when it comes to rape, I always um, invoke this Mary Gateskill essay published in Harper's and then republished in in a book of essays she wrote, she published um, about, she suffered three rapes in her lifetime and of the three, the two that she talks about the most, one was like a, a rape, a, a sort of date rape. And the other one was a violent stranger rape, like just someone kind of jumping out of the bushes and that like classic. And she talks about how the date rape was 
worse for her. She also then the coda to the essay, which I think that's, I think this is the height of bravery, was she talks about how the essay had ended there with the fact that the date rape bothered her more. But then she said, the other part that I didn't go on to say was that I went on to date that man for like several months or something. And she said, I knew I couldn't say that because then everyone would look at this story and be like, not only is she insane for thinking that rape is is the worst one, but also it's not a rape if she went on to date him. Mm. And kind of like, you know, and 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 there's so much to that, to the fact that we are not allowed in a sense to tell, to say what is a rape. Mm. To us. It's not about like, you know, when I'm talking about, you know, I think I, something, the line is like, there's a, a X amount such rapes a day. And like you just said, you know, it, it's the A to Z thing. And like where it's like, it's not like we're putting, we're not putting someone on trial for that because the legality of it is something completely different. But the emotional upheaval of something is something we should be allowed as individuals to, mm. to identify and describe on our own terms. Mm. And even, you know, aside from rapes and everything, and, you know, for all the talk about John being highly sexed, the sex she has in the book is often not very satisfying. Yeah. And that's something that we saw in Three Women, too. Is that something that you found reflects a lot of women's experiences? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there also is, you know, she also does have um, the the last time she has sex, she she says that... um, that we're, the last time she thinks she might have sex, um, she says is the only time she's ever had it in, in the sort of right way. And she's kind of like figured it out by that point. Um, and it's also like her kind of swan song with men, period. But yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, one of the the, the figures that was so striking to me um, around the three women time, something I, I, I was reading was that eight and 10, basically one in two women, something like, like almost that wild, their first sexual experience was not something that they wanted. And that doesn't mean that they were raped, Mm -hmm. but that they didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. It was like, they were kind of coerced by just being, you know, in love and whatever they weren't ready. And their first experience was not something they wanted. And I think that is like, that blew my mind mm. and also did not blow my mind at all you know because you know that's something I think that comes across in this because it's a it's I mean if three women was a book about women's sadness and frustration in a lot of ways animal is more like a book about women's anger and frustration and was that something that you were aware of as you were writing it alongside three women that it was showing these two sides of women's frustration the sadness and the anger I don't know that I was really aware of that. I think I, you know, I think that because Animal was fiction and and I, it was more my, you know, sort of voice, um, I think I have more anger and a lot of my anger comes from grief. And I think a lot of, a lot of grief really just Mm -hmm. like metastasizes into anger in a way that's sometimes extraordinarily helpful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that's, so for me, it was more about the rage that comes from grief. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there is, it is a hugely grief stricken book in a lot of ways. And I know Joan is nothing like you, Lisa, I'm not going to conflate the character with you, but there is a line in the book and I'm going to totally flub it. So please correct me. Cause I stupidly didn't mark down the page where she describes herself as a character who's sort of surrounded by disaster where things happen to her. You know, she, people kill themselves in front of her. She sees fatal car crashes. And then she says, why did my life have to get fucked up that way? And when we talked two years ago, you talked about how you lost your 
parents, your aunt, your uncle, and your dog all in the space of seven years. So was that an aspect of Joan that was also reflecting your experience? Yes, absolutely. That was something that I really like wanted to explore how grief can build and sort of, you know, I didn't lose my parents the way that Joan does in the book and the way that Joan does is very sort of shocking. And it's, it's kind of this pinnacle moment that affects the rest of her life. And though that is not what happened to me, it it is also for me losing my, my parents and all of the loss that I've, I've suffered has been incredibly, um, just upending in every single way. So I welcome in fiction the ability to explore how how grief can look really much, it can feel much worse than how it looks. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I like to explore the kind of, you know, the the blood and guts of something because that's really what it feels like. It's hard. It's like, you know, it it feels like being mauled to death by a tiger but really it just looks like a cat scratched you from the outside mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. one thing that shocked me while reading up um for this interview is the one instant in the book that i thought this is so over the top there is no way this happened <laughs> happened to a member of your family um i don't know if we i mean i'll leave it up to you as the author whether you want to first of all i'll leave it up to you as the person whether you want to talk about it but also as the author if we mention it i don't want to be spoiling anything yeah. here no i um it's funny because it's the same my editor had the same problem um, mm. with it. Uh, he was like, this This just feels like a, a touch too far. Everything else feels earned this. And I'm like, well, and that is the thing that definitively happened. And it was a huge marker on my on my childhood. And, and that was the, my grandmother was raped when she was in her 70s. A stranger home invasion in the middle of the day. And it's, it's, and I remember and exactly what it's in the book is similar to what happened where I overheard someone say, who would want to do that to to parents? So that was a similar. And as a kid, I don't know exactly how old I was. I was probably, uh, probably around the same, I don't, probably around 10 or 11 or 12. And I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what rape was. I didn't know what had happened to her. I just knew something like unspeakable had happened that I could not really be a part of or understand. And that the way that memory sits on us and the way that as kids, we learn something, but don't learn the exact specifics of it. So that later we, we have all like this sort of like miasmic memory of something and then we're trying to add sense to it but it it, so that to me was something I wanted to explore too but that's the other thing it's like we have all these you know we think these things don't happen but they they happen so many things happened Mm -hmm. to me um you know we talk about like you know uh, just so many things happen I think when people go oh that's too dark that that hurts my feelings because Mm -hmm. I'm like oh well (laughs) I've had a dark life. And for me, animals like, look, I see people with dark lives. I understand it. I've, I've had that too, um, to an extent. And, you know, and I, I welcome the idea of being able to tell other people that there are, there are some really hard lives out there and, and, and ignoring them because they're too dark makes it feel worse for the people suffering them. How did that affect your family? That's such a, huge bomb to happen in a family you know it was very it wasn't we didn't talk about it that much I was too young by the time I would have talked to my parents about it they had 
both passed away. Mm-hmm. So it was something, it's something I can, you know, I, I, I've, I've asked my brother about, but e- even he who was a lot older than me has, you know, sort of li- a limited understanding of it, but it didn't impact us on a sort of, you know, it impacted my father greatly, but I also would never have known exactly how, because he didn't show anybody. Mm-hmm. In Animal, the world is often depicted as full of constant dangers, aside from things that actually happen. She's also imagining things all the mm-hmm. time and especially dangerous to babies and children. Like a lot of things happen. You see things happening to babies and children, almost incidentally, like a car crash or this awful kidnapping, that story of this like the whole kidnapping story has kind of really haunted me. I really, no, it's just something that you can just imagine it. Like the way you describe it is very evocative. And we've talked in the past about your high levels of anxiety. I wondered if what the world you present in animal is actually the way you see the world. It is. It is. It, it, it is. And it's, it's all of my fears and stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I have, um, I read a lot about trigger warnings, you know, and I have so many of my own. But when it comes to writing them, sometimes it feels cathartic for me to to say something out loud so that, mm-hmm. you know, I have this whole system of if I say this and do this, then that won't happen. Then it won't happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's a very elaborate mathematical strategic. It's, it's fantastic. If you ever want to know, <laughs> uh, I am happy to share it with you. It's if there's a lot of bells and whistles to it. <laughs> it's very scientifically like, proven. It's all fine. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, but yes, I mean, in a way, yes, I, you know, I I guess it's, it's that I think that we see things on the news and, and other things. And I think some people are good at parsing things and going, okay, I have to look away from this. I can't let this get into my brain today, but I, I do not know how to, I'm still trying to learn. So for me, it's, I like see all of these things and I hear all of these things and they never leave me. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's that's a big part of it for me, the the dangers of of the world. And also one of the reasons it's set in California predominantly is because I I feel that way very much about California. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I've I've you know lived in, in Manhattan for longer and in other big cities, there's something about Los Angeles and California, the whole West that feels very dangerous to me mm-hmm. and everything about it. So I, I wanted to you know, to really kind of, so that, that was, that's why it was set there. I was going to ask that because it feels really like a California book, but you, unlike every other writer who writes about California, seem entirely uncharmed by it. You know, <laughs> other writers go on about the beauty and the slowness and the dreaminess of the landscape. And you say things like you have to be young and beautiful or old and rich to live in Venice, <laughs> both of which are true. <laughs> true. That is true. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> If if you're if you are not one of those things and you're able to do it, there, then, that's, then I want to meet you because that I wonder what you're. You must be the most confident person in the world. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, all kidding aside, I, I I do I love I love California. I think it's gorgeous. I think it's more that I'm afraid of it than uncharmed by it. it it's very. It's just so like. Um, there's just so much. There's so, there's so many secrets there that feel mm. so gothic um that I never felt that about New York and maybe it's because I lived longer in New York but but from the moment I saw California I was just like or LA in specific I'm like whoa you know because there's like it's this sparkling glittering city and then there are these like steep drops and these canyons and these like 
you know, there's like the his Manson family type, like there's just stuff that feels like, ah, and the snakes. It's just a lot. It's just yeah. <laughs> I always just imagine everyone's isolated in these little houses over exactly. canyons, like exactly. all doing really scary drugs exactly. and, or like being in a cult or something. So it's just the isolation of it. I find a bit overwhelming. Whereas in a city, you feel like you can see everyone and hear everyone and everyone's safe or something like that. Precisely. That is exactly it. Um, and because of the thing with the children and the babies, I wondered if that reflected your experience as a mother. Certainly once my children are born, I was just constantly thinking of ways that they were going to die. Like yeah. I just couldn't stop. Oh, that's all I, that's all I do. It's, it's a continuous feed of, of, again, uh, if I think of this one and this one and this one, then maybe those won't happen. But then, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking, trying to, so that's part of where that comes from is this sort of like mouse rabbit, you mm-hmm. know, mouse on a wheel type of thinking of all the possible terrors that can befall us. I think that's quite common with a lot of women writers. I've asked a lot of women writers about that when they put in a child's death in a book. I interviewed Ann Tyler recently and I said to her, how on earth were you able to write um, Accidental Tourist with that scene in it where the little boy is, is shot by the burglar and, and, and Macon, uh, admi- you know, it imagines it, you know, the little boy bouncing on his feet nervously and he gets shot in the back of the head. And she said, well, I just so feared that with my daughters and I made sure that when I wrote it, I made him younger than my daughters were already so that I didn't have to worry about it when my daughters were that age then. And I thought, see, even Ann Tyler has this. That, that might be, and see, that might be the most heartening thing I've heard all week. <laughs> and no, really. And, and that's the kind of, that's what I hope to do, you know, do with like animal is that same hearing that about and, and going, oh, oh, good call on making the age. Fantastic. Now I know it's, now I'll be good with that. It's just like it's, you know, it, it's being able to um, it's just being able to know that other people are doing the same thing and they're scared of the same things. And they have, you know, just knowing that other people have the same fears mm. is really helpful sometimes. And I want to talk about your writing because it's so taught, like every sentence feels so beautifully worked. And you have a description of school where uh, it's a blur of bad grades, stupid bangs and cigarettes, which I love. Um, And a sentence that punched a little too deep for me. Um, I can tell you a lot about sex with a man to whom you're not attractive. It becomes all about performance, your own body, how it looks from the outside, the way it moves above this man who for you is only a spectator. Are you a rewriter, 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 perfectionist, or are you someone who just blasts it out and just like, you know, tapping into your your id basically? I mean, I'm, it more just comes out. Mm -hmm. I don't write a sentence unless I'm gonna like, like I don't put it down unless it, I like it in my head, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more honest, but I mean, it takes me a long, like I don't just spit it, it, but it takes me a long time on a sentence by sentence basis. I, I don't, I can't move on. Like I, I, that's so in terms of like drafts and stuff, mm-hmm. I can't move on to a new page if there's like a yucky sentence on the page right. in before. Right. So I'm not like, oh yeah, I'll just, or I'll just write TK, TK, TK. (laughs) I'll literally sometimes write TK, TK, something not yucky here. Mm -hmm. And that will remind me to not, you know, that I need, it needs to not be yucky in order to stay in there. 
I read this interview with um, another female writer, Zadie Smith, I think in maybe the Paris Review or something. And she said, there are two kinds of writers, those who just can happily leave mess behind them and those who have to build the house as they're writing. Yeah. And you are the latter, it seems to me. And she, yeah. her theory was that women are more the latter and men are more the former. Like women need to be, to reassure themselves that everything's in working order. Right. Whereas men are just like, of course I'll fix it. I'll just get yeah. to it later. Yeah, exactly. Or I'll have my wife do it. this is an obvious question I know but how did you find the freedom of fiction after having been so tied to very strict nonfiction with three women it was great I mean it felt you know more so than the freedom of writing was the freedom of not having to worry about how somebody was going to see themselves yeah something as I'm sure you know you feel the same there's something about knowing what someone's going to do when they read a sentence about themselves mm. and not have to worry about that. I think that's another reason why Joan might've been so sort of um, out there is that I'm just like, no one's going to get upset about, I mean, they <laughs> might not like her, but they're not going to be her and mm. going, how could you have said that? You know? Yeah. And it's like, and that there's a real freedom in that. Yes. Yeah. And also just being able to imagine her having sex rather than you standing you know, in a field while Lena is having sex with her lover must have exactly. been convenient. And feel, I didn't feel as creepy. Not that I didn't <laughs> feel creepy, but I didn't feel as creepy. <laughs> Did you think you'll stick with fiction? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've never, you know, I've always written fiction. I've always published shorts. I wrote fiction yeah. before I ever wrote yeah. on. And so it's not, I don't, it's, it's always been the thing that you know, my next book right now is is um, I'm going to do a, a sort of slash memoir slash reported nonfiction about grief. Mm-hmm. But I'm also writing fiction at the same time mm-hmm. just because I, I need to do that in order to um, to sort of it just keeps me feeling fresh to do both. Um, and when you say you're doing memoir reported uh, nonfiction is that? Do you mean it's about you, or you're going out talking to people about grief? So partly me, and then partly people, mm-hmm. other people. Mm-hmm. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I don't want to keep going back to your parents because I know that, you know, I'm sure everyone always does. (laughs) You know, I wondered how you think losing them at that age, because you were just starting, you know, you were so young, you were starting your own career. But how did that shape you as as a writer? Do you think you'd have been able to write about sex and desire as freely if you knew they were going to be reading it? And, you know, it's funny you should ask that, because I think someone asked me a couple of days ago, like, why, how, how do you write about sex so freely? And I, and I didn't really, until you framed it that way, I really think that part of it might be like, well, my parents are dead. Mm-hmm. So I might as well make the most of it in these five ways and mm-hmm. writing about sex as though, you know, I don't have anyone who's going to make fun of me or, you know, be grossed out or be like, Oh God, that's my daughter. I think that's one of the ways I can, you know, besides not having to deal with my parents being super old and having to watch mm-hmm. that, you know, that and, and, and writing about sex freely are the two things that I won in the losing one's parents early lottery. 
<laughs> you know, something that always strikes me is how people describe your books as feminist. And I'm not saying they're not feminist, but I also think you're just writing, you're writing about women and desire. Like the fact, just the fact of a woman saying, actually, you know what, women have desires and they're not being met. The fact that that is a feminist statement still in 2021 feels strange is I guess a way I would put it. <laughs> There's a lot of strange primness that follows us around mm-hmm. that I'm surprised by on a, on an hourly basis. Mm-hmm. Now, I remember when we met last time, you mentioned you were working on a short story collection. Is that mm-hmm. also what you're working on at the moment? Um, well, it's, it's been done. Um, right. so yes, I, that'll probably, that will be the next thing, mm-hmm. but that at least in the U S and what's happening with the show for three women. So we are um, casting it right now. We're oh hoping God. to start shooting it this fall. Amazing. Uh, but all the episodes have been written mm-hmm. and it's all done. So that feels really good. It was a long, long road. Yeah. Uh, it was a long, you know, but but like, you know, had the pandemic, um, being a writer and being able to work from home has been really hugely fortunate. And I was able to, you know, spend most of that time working on the show. Well, you say that, but you have a small child. I feel like writers always yeah. need to apologize. Like, yes, I can work from home, but yes, but you have a child. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yes. It's absolutely, it was impossible. It was right. awful. <laughs> <laughs> so hard. Um, also my office is like a, a sort of hallway in between my bedroom and hers. Mm-hmm. I can be like right there on it. It's like every, you know, every five minutes it's like, and I'm just like, ah, you know, so no, it's hell. Thank you. Thank you. I know you know. <laughs> I also feel like if you feel free to write about this stuff because your parents are dead, there's a short space of time when you're not going to feel free when your daughter becomes a teenager. You know, I, I haven't felt, she sometimes reads over my shoulder while I'm writing and like, I have lots of, and I'll often, you know, there's lots of F words and stuff and I'll be like, you know, you can't, and I'm always like scrolling down so she get, but she knows, you know, she already knows that I don't write for her, mm-hmm. you know, yet. So I feel, I kind of want her to know me mm-hmm. and I kind of don't mind if she like reads that stuff. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, I, 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 this could all change. Who knows? She's six right now. But right now I'm just like, kind of want you to know the deal, you know, like in a way, like I want you to, so I, I don't, and also that's all I've got is, you know, I lot, I got, I gained that from losing my parents. I'm not going to lose it for my kid, you know? <laughs> <laughs> now I see questions are coming in already and I feel like I need to um, get started or we won't have time. Gavin has asked short stories, re-short stories and adaptations. Um, what does Lisa feel about the New Yorker story cat person and what you made of it as a viral phenomenon? And should we worry that yesterday's announcement of a screen adaptation means a blunted diluted version? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, I really enjoyed cat person thoroughly. I, I mean, I, I think it's, it, it, it was interesting to me that that specifically went viral uh, because it's, it, there's so many great short stories that are out there that I think it's interesting when one, like, you know, people are like, Oh, but what I think it's great. Cause what that did for short stories is great. Mm-hmm. I think, I think short stories is really my favorite thing to read and my favorite thing to write. And I hope that one day the world will feel that way too. So that people won't, you know, go, Oh man, another collection. <laughs> um, but I thought Cat Person was was great, and and I think it's really. I, I actually reread it a couple of months ago, and I was like, it's still it held up that sort yeah. of that I'd initially have. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, um, 
And as far as it becoming a, no, I mean, I hope not. I hope it'll be great. You know, I think, I don't know who's doing it, but I, I, I think that whatever um, company is involved, as I recall, is pretty, is pretty high end and cool. So I can't wait to see it. It's funny. It came out and everyone kind of made it like a me too story, but yeah. like you say, it, it is above that. And you know, one of the many things I really love about three women and animal is that they are stories about women and desire but they're not actually about the Me Too movement, which, you know, they're not tied to that, which I personally don't feel like is obviously a good thing, but it probably hasn't changed women's quotidian sex lives right. that much. But did you ever feel under pressure to tie anything to a zeitgeist movement or to get a bit more trendy, that kind of thing? I did. I felt a lot of pressure. I felt like if I wasn't doing it, I didn't want to do it because I didn't, I, I felt like what I wanted to say um, was its own thing and that it existed parallel and that it was, um, and I also didn't really want to say anything with three women where I didn't want to make any statements. The only statement I wanted to make was that these stories are just as important as anybody else's. Mm -hmm. um, literally everybody's story is of equal importance. And the only sort of, the only difference is who, who is willing to tell it and, and when and, um, and how you tell it, et cetera. But I did feel a lot of pressure to, to tie it into, to me too, at the time, because it was kind of, I was like, Oh God, you know, I, I need to make sense out of this. I need to make meaning out of this. And then I decided not to, because it didn't feel organic. And it, mm -hmm. and I felt like, like I had not been living that through that, that, uh, movement and neither did, did the women in yeah. the book. Yeah. So you know, no, I, 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 I did. I, I mean, I did, but I didn't end up doing it. Now, some questions from email here. Harriet asks, what was the first spark of an idea that inspired animal? Was it an image, a sentence or a character? Um, I think it was the two characters, the twin characters of Joan and, and Vic. I had, I, I have a lot of sort of animosity towards uh, men who like the teacher in three women who mm -hmm. allegedly groomed Maggie, the young woman, the men who sort of, or not just men, anyone really who looks for holes in other people and, and seeks to exploit them. But I'm also interested in the idea of what uh, the woman does and how her her complicity is the thing that really rankles at the end like for me um you know my complicity in and everything that has ever been done to me has been the thing that i like when i can't control it when i can't con there's just anger at like the world but when i when i have been able to control it but did not take care of myself in a sense that is when i when it leaves the biggest mark and mm -hmm. so that that sort of idea is the thing that i was the most interested in exploring and Lucy asks, recently Jeanette Winterson made headlines for burning copies of her The Power Book. And she yes. tweeted, absolutely hated the cozy little domestic blurbs on my new covers. Turned me into women's fiction of the worst kind. Nothing playful or strange or ahead of time stuff that's in there. So I set them on fire. Have <laughs> you ever fought with the moniker of women's fiction? And what are your thoughts on Jeanette's quote? You know, I think women's fiction, yeah, it's annoying to hear women's fiction. It's annoying to like, it, there, you know, the fact that there's no male fit. Of course, it's it's totally annoying. I I don't, you know, and, and one of the first, I I, I didn't, I, I sold a novel uh, many, many years ago before Three Women that I never wanted to be published. 
at the time that even though I sold it and I was young and I should have been excited and been like, oh, this is great. I was afraid of um, of it being called Chicklet simply mm-hmm. because it was a female character who was talking, who had a lot of, and it, it was, it made me so afraid of that tag that it obviously took me many years to kind of get over that. But I was so worried. I was writing for men's magazine that, you know, I thought, that the women's fiction was was something that was like a second class thing. And so I have personal like I I you know I second guess that so much that I didn't publish something that was already bought. I mean that's mm-hmm. you know an insane thing. And regarding Jeanette Winterson, I mean I, you know I don't know her at all. I can totally understand being upset with something that someone changing your the appearance of something you've done to make it to make it look different so it sells better I mean that's happened to me multiple times and mm-hmm. many ways and I kind of see it as as the inevitable aspect of the machine of 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 business but um I mean I don't you know I think to each her own um anonymous attendee it's a great name I wonder where your parents got that from. <laughs> uh, it says Lisa refers to how uh what is due to women is metered um how do you feel that women's expectations are metered now especially by people who present themselves as feminist and do you feel you have a role as a novelist in changing these societal preconceptions and altering these meterings <laughs> um I mean I think that anyone with a platform of any kind should use it to the best of their ability to help other people uh, of the disenfranchised amongst us. Um, that being said, when it comes to my actual work, you know, I think that there's nothing worse than, than having messages and fiction mm-hmm. that are sort mm-hmm. of like, that are baked in in a kind of way that, that doesn't feel organic. So, and, and I would never want to write something that feels um, that, that feels like it's baked in for something else, which is why I think that, you know, adding a sort of me too aspect to three women would have hurt, hurt it on, in the larger sense. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I do feel like I do feel a responsibility, but I, it, it it's, you know, it's a balancing act to, to do it the right way to, to make it, to make it true yeah. and not, and not foisted upon a reader. What's the hardest aspect about writing with a child in the house? <laughs> <laughs> Answers the question herself in the, in the question. <laughs> oh my God. Um, yeah, I, you know, I wish she's usually here um, at my feet and I could show you uh, <laughs> the hardest thing I think for me is the, what the sort of trying to balance what, um, whether not playing with her and ignoring my, and and doing my work versus not doing my work and playing with like, and not being able to then take care of her um, financial, like uh, that balancing act in the brain that plus, I think the hardest thing is when I'm trying to do work and be present at the same time impossible it's impossible and it's also like it's just it makes you feel like like shit and it's it's just like it's a constant the constant if I do this am I a good mom if I don't do this am I not providing for it like that is a the hardest thing is the questions and Mm -hmm. but honestly the truth is even when she's not at home which she isn't right now is I'm thinking about Mm -hmm. like the fact that she's not with me 
Mm-hmm. You know, and and is it better to be with me and and not being paid attention to by me than with someone else who's paying attention to her? Is she gonna love the other person more? Like, I mean, all of it. I, I just, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think there's an easy, um, I don't think there's an easy way to do it. Basically, once you have a child, whatever you're doing, you think you should be doing something else. Like exactly. if you're working, you should be with them. If you're with them, you should be working. If you're exactly. exercising, you should be them. If you're seeing friends, you should be with them. There's exactly. never a moment's peace. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get to lose yourself in your work anymore. Yeah. And the thing is, when I could lose myself in my work, I was just like, oh, I'll have plenty of time to lose myself in my work. Now I'm like, why didn't I lose myself in my work? Why was I going out for drinks? You know, why wasn't I having that question about drinks? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why wasn't I working all the time then instead of lying on the sofa and eating peanut butter? Exactly. <laughs> that could just be me. I'm right with you. I'm right with you. <laughs> Uh, Laura um, asked, do you think about who would play characters as you write them, such as who would play th- women in Three Women, who would play Joan? You know what's so funny is no. I mean, it's so weird because I used to do that a lot before there was sort of a world in which there might be somebody playing my characters. Mm-hmm. And now that there is, I, I don't know why. I No, I don't do that. Um, I also, I don't you know, I think that there is a danger in, 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 in fiction and in nonfiction of doing that. Cause you don't, you don't want it to sort of like, yeah, no, I, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also asks if you could name some of your mentors and or favorite authors. Mm, favorite authors, um, Lucia Berlin, Elena Ferrante, Grace Paley, Raven Leilani. Uh, Joy Williams is probably my absolute favorite. She mm-hmm. mostly does short stories, but she also wrote The Quick of the Dead. And, mm-hmm. and I wondered how you found it shifting from journalism, which you did for a long time, you know, very successfully, to novel writing, which seems to me an entirely opposite discipline. And yet people just kind of assume it's the same because it's writing, but it's obviously totally yeah. different. I- I've always written, um, the fiction is something I write by myself self um at night usually when there is nothing else to do and there's a sort of um whereas journalism and nonfiction for me is very much more of a nine to five ish mm-hmm. not that my hours are nine to five they're more like seven to you know four and then six to seven thirty and then ten to four o'clock in the morning but um <laughs> those are my hours but um for 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 novel writing it's it's I always see it more as like I still even even though you know I published a novel and and you know got paid for it I still see it as this like dirty little secret that I need to work on later and the journalism and nonfiction is the thing that pays the bills yeah does that help maintain the enjoyment of it by thinking about yes. this dirty little secret <laughs> yes Yes, maybe I'm do- maybe I'm maybe I'm so wickedly smart that I just I'm blind to myself <laughs> about it, so I'll keep doing it. Um, Sarah asks. I mean, I think I can guess the answer to this one, but do you consider yourself a feminist? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, it's such an interesting thing. It's like I don't know, but I think it's such a tricky thing because I always say this that Lena in Three Women, who's the woman in in Indiana. Uh, I was a housewife who basically, you know, to, who would not, I know would not call herself a feminist and, 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 and might think might even be upset if someone did call her a feminist. In fact, I think is one of the most feminist women I've met. So I think it's a weird, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a weird sort of 
thing because I, I think we all should be, you know, <laughs> um, but at the same time, like, I think it, it's, it's a sort of problematic tag because some, like if, yes, yes, I'm a feminist. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on, on the word, but, but yes. Well, seeing as you referenced Chimamandi Ngozie Adichie's um, essay there, we all should be feminists. What did you think of her essay last week? I mean, I, I suspect that's something that you've had to deal with, which is people who you helped or you knew talking about you publicly. Did you see it? it? No, what is it? I haven't even heard of it and now I'm writing it down. I feel, oh, you'll have to wait, um, so, well, I'll, whatever. Where is it though? It's on her, it's on her website. She set up her own website just to publish this and it's called, This is Obscene. Oh. Um, and it's about it's about a lot of things, but one thing it's about is about when you suddenly become a very famous writer, as both mm-hmm. of you did, um, and suddenly people you knew talking about you in social media in a very cruel way, and how you're just, especially as a woman, supposed to just kind of take it, like you know, we're not, you know, you're not going to be Norman Mailer and punch someone out in a bar, like you're just supposed to rise or above. Can it. you? Or will, <laughs> or can or you? will I? Or can you? <laughs> That's yeah. I mean, I I find that one of the things, and I was talking um, to another uh, very to Rupi Kaur about the same sort of thing, which is that there's people in our past, mm-hmm. uh, in anyone's past, mm-hmm. who they feel like they have this like, oh, I I knew her when. Yeah. And it's like, you know, me, anyone, we all remain the same people. Nothing changes. Like we don't, you know, but it's like, there's this sort of like, there's an ownership over who you were in your past, especially if that person that you were in your past is not like, if you don't know that I feel this way about X, Y, Z, it's not because I didn't feel that way then. It's because I never talked to you about it because we weren't very close then and we still aren't going to be now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's that there's something that people, I don't know, I haven't read Chimamandas, but I'm, I'm sure there's something about that ownership of who you were in the being able to 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 take someone down a notch just by knowing them. You should be doing the opposite, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I just, I, I don't know, I find that to be so cruel. I can't well, it reminded me a lot of kind of the dynamic between Vic and Joan in your book, like the way he calls her kiddo, kind of keeping her down in a way. And this sense of entitlement, the sense, the idea that he can walk in on her dates with new people. Yeah. Um, it has that kind of old stalker fan dynamic going on in it. Yeah, exactly. I can't wait to read that essay. That's exciting. Um, I mean, it's not long, but it's like the most powerful sort of take on social media, Great. you know, basically culture today. Do you stay away from all that? Because as someone who was a journalist, you used to have to be reliant on it. Yeah, no, I don't stay away from it. It's just been a busy couple of, of weeks. But I also I also do feel uh, like I do feel removed from, you know, there's there's so many that I need. I, I'm not active. I'm not as active on Twitter. Like, I, I'm not really a part of that sort of, you know, the 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 way that the I have not adjusted to the the new news cycle of it being mm-hmm. like this still because it's been I I need I need more time to sort of adjust to that but I love being in in the I love knowing all the stuff and I love reading things like in the moment they come out so when you just said that I was like <gasps> no, <I'm-> <laughs> <laughs> no um well we're almost out so I'll just finish up with um really. Yeah, very easy question, I guess. But you are working on so many different things, Lisa. How do you 
divide your day. Like, you know, as a writer, you don't feel like I just need to focus on this. I can't also have a screenplay happening and short stories happening, or is that you're happier being able to pick and choose a little bit? Thanks for asking that. It's, I think it's impossible. I, I would, I long to think about only one thing again, mm. to be able to do that. It's, it's really hard. And I think, and it's, it's, it's really hard. And I feel like I'm just constantly chasing my tail on it. It's, it's not, I mean, like this is, these are the kinds of lists I, I make for myself. I like CBS um, in a big circle. Oh God, that's for my, that's for um, my Prozac, which if I don't get it today, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The um, CBS for all the UK listeners out there is like boots in America, basically. <laughs> So sorry, I basically just showed everybody my um my, my Prozac, Prozac, my neon Prozac. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, I it's hard. It's really hard, and it's it's I I I can't. I, and I think the hardest thing is like you know going oh I'm going to work on this book for these two hours, and then an email comes in and it's like no, you need to do this right now because this is you need to put this fire out kind of a thing. That's so it's it's really hard. Yeah, just hearing that it's like giving me anxiety. I'm so bad at like multitasking. <laughs> um, well, it's why you are super successful and I'm the interviewer. But Lisa, thank you so much. I'm going to end on that self-deprecating note. Um, it's been a total joy to get to speak to you again, Lisa. Thank you so much for this. Thank you, Hadley, as ever. So much. <laughs> Um, and thank you to everyone who joined. Um, make sure you stay up all night tonight and read Animal. Do email your thoughts. I'm always at The Guardian. You can find me there and I'll pass them on to Lisa. Um, and thank you all for coming this evening. Thank you so much, Adley. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much. This week's show starred Lisa Tadeo and was presented by Hadley Freeman. It was produced by Luke Naylapero and myself and edited by John Doughty. You can find Hadley and Lisa's first conversation in our archives, alongside 88 more episodes exploring everything from the chemistry of the human brain to the fight against global poverty. Find it all at howtoacademy.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Vas Christodoulou. Thanks for listening. <laughs>